Hello and welcome back to the Vol Report Show. I'm Ryan Sylvia and we have a very special guest with us today, the one and only Brad Franklin over at Cavs Corner, the Virginia site on the Rivals Network. How are you doing today, Brad? I'm pretty good, man. How about yourself? I'm doing good. Thank you so much for joining me. We're really excited here in Knoxville to get football season started, especially after how last season went with Josh Heupel and company. So I want to talk to you, ask you a few questions about what to expect from Virginia this year as the two teams collide this Saturday. So to get things started, it, you kind of have to talk about it. Obviously a very unfortunate situation with the tragedy that happened at the end of last season with Virginia <clears throat> forcing them to cut the season short. So I just kind of wanted to know how the team is managing. On one hand, you want to move forward, while on the other hand, you also want to make sure you're remembering those players and respecting those players that uh, unfortunately passed away. So kind of what's been the atmosphere around the program as they look to get back to the football field? You know, I think in some ways, you know, something like that happens. And, you know, you, you mentioned the idea of sort of moving on and, you know, a lot of time has passed. I mean, you, you think of um, sort of the time frame of when this happened, um, you know, football became such an afterthought. Um, mm -hmm. And then in the spring, I think football really became a, a driving factor to bring folks together. Um, you know, I, I know in the spring game, Mike Hollins, who was um, another player who was on that trip, who was shot, who, you know, made a pretty miraculous uh, recovery in a very short amount of time. He scored a touchdown, you know, took the ball and placed it on the, the numbers um, for the first fallen teammates that were in the end zone. And it was just a very special, uh, you know, moment, I think for, for, for Mike, for his family, for the players, for the coaches, for the support staff, especially, and, and also for fans, you know, cathartic, I, I think in, in, in a lot of ways um, continually, um, you know, I think Virginia's done a really nice job to continually keep their, me their memory alive. You know, I think if you ever met, Lavelle and Deshaun and, and, and Devin, I think you, you came away thinking those are special kids. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, you know, having done the recruiting thing for a long time, I've met a lot of players and certainly have known a lot of different kids, but I mean, Lavelle Davis was one of the, um, one of the more enjoyable, most enjoyable dudes I've ever covered. Um, you know, during the COVID season, he was the lightning bolt that that team needed. Um, he was hurt the next year. Um, and I think a lot of people were really excited to see, you know, what was ahead for him and, and obviously what was ahead for, for Deshaun and Devin as well. So I think for a lot of folks coming back together, the idea of playing football, the, when they finally get back to Scott Stadium, I think it'll be, be a little bit different. I think playing in Charlottesville is a little bit different than, yeah. you know, maybe them opening the season here. Um, but certainly I, I think players are ready um, to play for, you know, their brothers in a way that I don't think, you know, toward the end of the season, there was a lot of conversation those last couple games, the idea, should they play, should they not? Um, you know, the players were very adamant that they wanted to go to the funerals. And if they could make it work to be able to go to the funerals and then play Virginia Tech, they would do it. Um, ultimately, it just did not work out. Um, but, you know, I think at this point, guys who are, who are still there, uh, and there were a number of, of players, I think, who, who wanted a fresh start. Um, I, I think there were uh, understandable reasons for all of that, regardless of whether it related to this or not. But I think the guys who were there, certainly the coaches who were there, uh, I think everybody's ready for um, the season ahead to um, to play for their memory. Um, their their numbers are going to be um, in, in a prominent location, I think is safe to say, in yeah. the stadium for, for, for many years to come. And I don't think there's going to be um, 
many folks who are going to come to a game there um, who are not going to see those numbers and understand um, who those kids are. And I think Virginia football has done a really nice job of keeping that, keeping their memory alive and, and really keeping it at the centerpiece of, of, of a lot of things they do. Yeah, absolutely. Definitely going to be a, a very emotional season uh, and, and probably a lot of emotions for that. Like you said, first game at home, but also just first game of the season over in Nashville. Josh Heupel today was asked about if there was any plan to, to kind of honor the victims or, or whatnot during the game on Saturday Right. He said, of course, they'll have a moment of silence before the game, and they'll also have some helmet decals with the numbers of the players who unfortunately lost their lives. So should be an emotional kind of start to that game for, for many reasons, but uh, felt like it was necessary to, to touch No, I on. completely understand, and I, and I re- really appreciate that. I think for a lot of us who, you know, on the media side of things, who covered those kids, like I said, guys who I knew since they were teenagers, um, yeah. you know, um, it's still very weird for me to talk about football and not think about those kids being around. Um, you know, so it's, 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 it's a very, uh, weird, uh, sort of off season that will, will come to an end here soon. But certainly I think, like you said, I think it'll be, um, it'll be something we all think about throughout the season and probably for years to come. Yeah, for sure. Well, we'll move on to the, on the field play though, from here kind of the, the biggest storyline as of recent around the UVA program has been the naming of the starting quarterback in Tony Musket. So I'm curious, from your perspective, what is the expectation for him in year one at UVA? And kind of what's his biggest skill set? And then maybe what's something that he'll need to work on and improve throughout the year? Well, I think that Musket showed, you know, at Monmouth before he arrived in Charlottesville that, you know, he's a guy who, who, who has a lot of tools. And the question is, can he do it at this level? You know, I don't think that it was necessarily news when, you know, Tony announced that he was going to be the starting quarterback, though. I think Tony did a, a nice job of continuing to push that this was a competition, competition, even though I don't think it was much of a competition once um, former backup quarterback. Um, and gosh, his name is completely blanking on me right now. Uh, Jay, um, Jay Wolfolk. Jay Wolfolk. Thank you. Sorry. Wow. That was terrible. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> when Jay decided he was going to focus on baseball, uh, you know, I think that that really put UVA in a spot where suddenly the, the, the quarterback room was small. All right. And so if you've got Anthony Calandria, who is a nice prospect, don't get me wrong, but he's a small kid, you know, just coming out of high school, you're probably not handing him in the keys. And they've also moved Delaney Crawford um, from quarterback to receiver in, in recent weeks. So I think that, you know, Tony was going to be the guy. Um, if Calandra beat him out, I mean, that's a heck of a, a, a move for, for AC 10, but it's not a really good look for Tony. Yeah. Um, to, and that Tony there being Elliot, not necessarily just musket. So I think that, you know, for, for, for UVA to be successful, you know, they need the offense to be at least pedestrian. And what they put together last year was not anywhere close to that. Uh, what Brendan Armstrong did in 2021 you know, he set program records all over the place. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of folks, probably Brennan included, expected they were just going to kind of roll the balls out and do it all over again. But the system was very different. There was not the 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 freedom, the freelance work. I mean, he just didn't have, you know, the um, the ability to sort of go off script in this offense as he did under Robert Nine in that in their last year um, on staff. And so I think what Tony really needs to do is just be consistent. You know, and it sounds really cliche, but he just needs to, you know, uh, move the ball, uh, stay on the field on third down, score some points. He doesn't have to be a hero. Um, what's funny is that UVA doesn't have a lot of experience as a skills position back for a variety of different reasons. Um, but also, I-, I think they've got some pretty decent talent. Um, 
They might not necessarily have Tennessee or SEC talent, but they've got some, you know, some pretty nice pieces that I'm interested to see sort of go through the year. So I think what Tony has to do is he's got to be uh, consistent, keep the ball um, for turnovers are just killer for them last mm -hmm. year. They just, you know, could not get out of their own way. Um, you know, Brennan, I think made a lot and he's a gunslinger by nature, but I think even that was, I mean, he made a lot of really rough decisions and that certainly killed any sort of momentum um, that Virginia had and really put the onus on the defense to, to be even better than the improvement that they were making from from one year to the next. So I think what Musket is going to be asked to do is really they, they don't need him to win games. They just need him them like basically for him to keep them in games. And I think that's something that really fits his skill set. And I think it sounds it seems like to me and looking sort of at the bigger picture and certainly, you know, talking to various players and hearing what they've got to say this uh, offseason and from the spring in, included, I, I think it just feels like he's kind of ready for that sort of role. Um, they're not asking him to do too much. And I think if they, if he's able to do what they ask him to do, I think the offense will be pretty decent. Yeah. You, you touched on Brent Armstrong, some, some big shoes to fill after what he was able to do at, at UVA, obviously, like you said, didn't necessarily kind of reach the expectations he probably had for himself last year. But when he was that starter it, uh, in the previous years, he was very effective and you even look back to Bryce Perkins. And, and that's another just phenomenal career that was, put on at UVA at the quarterback position. Obviously, you mentioned the big difference is that transition from Bronco Mendenhall over to Tony Elliott's offense and how that kind of made things difficult in that transition year and probably led to those decrease in numbers for Brian Armstrong. I'm curious, going into year two for Tony Elliott, what does that transition look like at this point? Do you think the team's more comfortable in what he wants to do, or is there still a lot of kind of new pieces that need to be ironed out? Well, I think there's some new pieces, but the pieces are, are are personnel, right? Like the I think at this point, guys who maybe this didn't fit, whether that's on the offense or otherwise, right? Guys who this didn't fit what they wanted to do, you know, they've had the opportunity to leave, and and the transfer portal has never been more, um, you know, more um, prevalent, right? Like guys leaving used to not be a thing. Now it's a constant thing, right? Mm -hmm. So there has never been a more perfect time, right? for players who were who felt like maybe they were being washed out a little bit through a transition to find a new home. Now, having said that, I think that one of the weird things about this specific transition, right? Think about like when, um, you know, and I'm trying to think of which former Tennessee coach I want to pick here. Um, <laughs> there are plenty, let's just say it like this. Yeah. There are plenty of times when fans are very excited for a coaching change, right? Mm -hmm. That wasn't necessarily the case when Bronco quit. Yeah. Um, when Bronco decided to leave, fans were kind of happy. So like, um, and what I mean by that is kind of happy with where things were, not necessarily that it was leaving. So it was a weird sort of transition where everything was kind of fine. Normally it's either, hey, that coach was so good, he got this great job, right? He's now coaching in, you know, Tuscaloosa or whatever, right? Um, and no, I didn't say that, just to antagonize uh, UT <laughs> fans. Um, if I was going to do that, I would have said Gainesville. Um, but no, uh, you know, it, it, it's either it's really good or it's terrible, right? It's terrible and you cannot wait to get the guy out and you want to go pack his stuff for him. But this was just fine, right? And so, like, you had players who thought, like, hey, wait, what is this new culture? Like, our culture was fine, right? And you got fans who were like, well, wait a minute. I kind of like Bronco. I kind of like what he was doing. I like this. I like that. And so everybody got kind of stuck in the middle. And so there was this weird sort of few months where Tony Elliott is coming in talking about we're going to have the model program. And these other guys are thinking, like, well, wait a minute. I thought we had a pretty decent program already. And you had fans thinking, like, well, wait a minute. I thought we were not too bad off. But then you start to uncover the warts. You're like, oh, crap. The offensive line is in a really bad spot. The quarterback room has no depth. The quarterback himself 
isn't necessarily all that keen on trying to learn the offense, it seems mm -hmm. like. And so I think there's a weird transition that happened. But at this point, this is year two, you know, as we wrote on the site today, it's his baby, right? The guys he recruited in the transfer portal are the guys who are there. Primarily, most of the starters will be guys he either directly recruited to, to come or guys that he convinced to stay, guys that, you know, have chosen to play for him. So this is his thing now. Um, offensively, I think even if they're not like great, they have to at least seem like they have a plan. And there were multiple times last year, man, where they just did not look like a team that had a plan. Uh, one of my co-hosts on the podcast likes to say that, you know, an offense should look like um, a paragraph and not just a, a, a you know a group of sentences. There were times last year where you had some loose letters. Okay. The thing was just really rough. Um, and that's, you know, that's not a good look when you're an offensive minded head coach, you've got an offensive coordinator who was coaching the league, a guy, you know, who, you know, I think on some level there were expectations that the offense would be much better, especially considering the talent that it had coming back. Mm -hmm. And that is just not even remotely what happened. So I think this year, right or wrong, the, what happens on offense will be a big part of the referendum that is Tony Elliott in year two. I, I yeah. think that you could you could you could have a conversation about sort of like what has to happen for him to get to year three. I think that it would have to go just absolutely drastically terribly wrong mm -hmm. um, for that not to happen. That being said, there are plenty of people who are very worried that that might be the case, and I think that it's up to Tony and his people, as we wrote on the site today, to kind of get the get the ship right, get it pointed in the right direction. And if you, even if you're not necessarily turning in six, seven, eight wins, right, even if it's three, four, five. Um, that at least you look like you know what you're doing. You at least look like you're heading in the right direction. You at least look like there's some semblance of momentum. I, I thought that was a really interesting point about kind of the the situation about uh, uh, around Bronco Mendenhall leaving the program. You mentioned Tennessee. When Butch Jones is fired and they bring in Jeremy Pruitt, there's a lot of happiness around it. When, when you move on from Dooley and go to Jones, like, yeah. Most of the time when you're moving on from a coach, it's because either, like you said, that coach is taking a, a better job or things did not go well. well exactly. And everybody's excited for it to happen, but that exactly. is just not what happened here. It just is not anywhere remotely what happened. And it's a fact. I mean, if you think about it, think about all the different like coaching changes in college football. That just does not happen very often. Yeah. Even at the schools where there's not a lot of success, it's like you, you fall in love with the idea that the next dude might be the guy that takes you there. Mm -hmm. Right. It's just very, very random for, for a school to kind of be in a decent spot. Not great, not bad, but just decent. And then there's a coaching change that, you know, all of the restarting language, you know, you're going to do this and we're going to be this and we're going to, you know, that just doesn't work in that situation in a way that it does, you know, if everything's bad. And so, yeah, there, there are a lot of coaching changes where people are very excited and then you've got coaching changes where people are very upset. And then there's very few where people are just in the middle, like, well, I'm yeah. not really sure how I feel about this. Yeah. And it does bring up kind of that interesting situation where it's like, we just went to an orange bowl. We, we beat Virginia tech for the first time in forever. And now you want to come in and change everything. It, it is a little bit understandable why maybe some players kind of are a little hesitant to make that big change. And now, of course, as you mentioned earlier with the transfer portal, it is Tony Elliott's guys within the program. And, and it's kind of, he's got the for keys sure. to the now to do what he wants yeah. to do. So I'm curious to hear Two sides of it. One, what is your opinion for a realistic season for Tony Elliott this year? Uh, kind of whether that's record-wise or or just growth-wise. And not only your perspective, but if you had to put kind of a pulse on the fan base, what do you think their expectation is? 
Oh boy. How much time we got? Um, no. <laughs> um, well, let me handle the second part first. I, I think there are a pretty decent number of fans who are just completely checked out. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think because of the way sort of football had been trending, uh, you can look at the attendance numbers, even when, even during the, the, um, the coastal championship orange bowl season, right. Numbers, for attendance were not like through the roof or anything. Folks were still very much kind of checked out, which is just not the case for other sports. I mean, Virginia has a pretty robust athletic department, um, you know, attendance at other events, fan interest in other events, especially in terms of men's basketball, baseball, that kind of stuff has just been pretty impressive, right? Football just had not been able to move that needle. Um, Now I think there's also a fair number of fans who are really curious to see what Tony can do now that this is his ship. Um, but I, I think there's also a pretty good number of fans who have every expectation that it's going to go poorly, that Tony's not the right fit. Um, there was a, and we don't, there's just an impossible way to sort of explain all this, but in the days between when Bronco decided to, uh, to leave, um, and when they actually hired Tony Elliott, there was a lot of like rumor. Um, there was a lot of reports and various folks you talked to who would tell you that Anthony Poindexter, who, for those who may not be aware, was probably the greatest former Virginia player um, in school history, um, unfortunately tore up his knee against NC State his senior year and was never able to make it in the league. But if you ever watch any highlights of Poindexter play, you only need like 10 seconds to understand like why he was so special and so revered because of the way he played that game. Even as a safety, he was basically a linebacker, and he moved like a DB. Um, and – He's a, you know, a kid from Virginia who went to Virginia, um, who had coached in Virginia, who had, you know, was in a spot maybe to come home. And there were a lot of folks, including a lot of former players, who were really excited about that opportunity and that pro- prospect. And it didn't work out that way. Now, I don't think that you can really say that the vast majority of folks who have a bad taste in their my- mouth for Tony Elliott are that way because of what happened with Dex. But I can't say that it's not necessarily an, you know, an important factor in all of it. But mm-hmm. I also think that, you know, UVA had been through a guy who came right away and basically coached BYU year 12 instead of you co- coaching UVA year one, and now Tony Elliott kind of did the same thing. Tony talked a lot about Clemson when he first got here, which makes sense, right? It was his experience where he went to school. It's a thing he's trying to replicate. I get that. He's trying to take the parts that, of that experience and fit it to a you know more academically-minded institution and such. I get it. Like It makes total sense, but it just wasn't the right time in a lot of ways, right? So I think for a lot of fans, there's this idea that, you know, they're sort of waiting until this is over. Um, But there certainly are a number of fans who are very excited to get back to Scott Stadium, who are extremely excited about the season, who probably don't look at it and go like, you know, we just had our preseason prediction show, which is probably our biggest uh, thing of the season. And I think normally we we pick them to win two or three more games than they usually do. Mm -hmm. Two of us had them at five and seven and one of us had them at four and eight. I think that says a lot about the expectations for those of us who pay attention to the little things, right? Um, you know, for me, in terms of this season, it's not that I'm saying they can't have success. I, I don't expect them to have success in the opener, not to spoil probably one, or one of your <laughs> questions is going here soon. Um, it's not that I don't think they can have success. It's that it's hard for me to pick them to have success. So, for example – you know, they're going to open up against UT, then they're going to play JMU, which in the which in the state of Virginia is a, I mean, you might yeah. think of, oh, JMU. Listen, plenty of teams in, the, in this area have, have thought they were going to roll over the Dukes and it just doesn't mm-hmm. happen, right? But that's going to be a fairly big game because JMU has been looking for that game 
for a long, long time. They go up to Maryland the next week, and then they get NC State. So you get Brendan Armstrong and Robert and I back in Charlottesville again. So by the time you close out September in, in Boston, you know, could they come home three and two? Sure. Could they come home four and one? Probably not, right? Like it just sort of sets up that way. And if you look at the schedule, they go to Carolina, to Miami, and back-to-back weeks after their, after their bye week. Then they get Georgia Tech at home. If they can come out of that and they probably have four wins, maybe they can win two of the last three. But mm-hmm. even if they do that, you're talking about you're flirting with bowl eligibility, right? That kind of, I think, does a really nice job of encapsulating sort of the situation that faces the program as a whole, right? It's, it's really hard to restart when you can't restock in terms of talent the way, you know, other schools can. I mean, even North Carolina, which is not exactly a perennial, you know, top 15 team, they recruit at such a high level that it's much easier for them you know, to find a Drake May after they, you know, have had the talent they've had at quarterback the last, you know, several guys that have been there, right? Um, and so I think for Virginia, for me, for this season, um, it's going to be much more about consistency, right? Maybe they don't win in College Park. Maybe they don't beat um, NC State. But can they put some something out there that makes me think that maybe they can pull off a win in Carolina? Maybe they can get a win in um, Miami Gardens. Maybe they can beat Louisville. In, in the second game in November. I just feel like there's a lot of road left before I'm going to expect them to win it, even though I think they have a lot of pieces. That defense has a lot of experience back. Sure, they got to replace Nick Jackson, who was an all-everything ACC linebacker uh, headed to Iowa in the transfer portal. Um, but, you know, they've, they've, got some, they've got some options, and that's not necessarily always the case. Their skill talent, I think, is going to be better than a lot of people – give them credit for so it's not so much that i think they're going to be terrible it's just like i i I have a problem picking something to happen when i haven't seen enough yet to have reason to believe it definitely will we're talking with brad franklin of CavsCorner.com. let's talk about that that ut who's matchup that we're going to get this saturday you just mentioned the defense returning a lot of experience i'm curious to hear kind of if you think they can hang with a high-powered tennessee offense an offense that also is different from what Virginia is going to see for the rest of the season and different from what they saw last year and in the structure of the offense and what they like to do and the way they split receivers out to the sidelines and like to run with tempo. How do you think that defense is going to fare against Tennessee's offense? Yeah. I mean, listen, I, I would be lying if I sat here tonight and told you like, Oh, I'm really confident that he's going to be able to slow him down. Now I will give them this John, John Rosinski, um, came in in year one last year and did what nobody expected him to do, which is a take a bunch of dudes who, frankly, the UVA's defense had been pretty poor the maybe two or three seasons before. It was one of the things I think, you know, if we're all going to be honest and call the spade a spade, it's one of the things that maybe played a role in Bronco Menhall deciding not to coach anymore. Is that sort of the, um, it became clear, I think, to a lot of folks around the program that he needed to make changes on the defensive side of the ball. And I think one of the pieces that maybe sold him on the idea, like, you know, maybe this isn't where I want to be, is the idea of separating himself from family, right? Guys who had come across country with him, guys who played for him, guys who had coached with him for a long time. That UVA defense was pretty rough at the end of his tenure. Um, and what Rudd did in that first year was turn him around, and not just in a little bit. I mean, turn him around in a lot. In that group, you know, not only did it get Fentral Cypress a, um, a nice uh, transfer portal ride to Florida State, um, you know, but it, it really kind of set UVA up in a position to win games last year. They didn't have any business being in, considering how rough the offense was. All that being said, and while I think the defense will have probably one of the 
you know, one of the better defenses in the ACC. It's gonna, this one's rough. Like this is a bad matchup on a variety of fronts. Virginia's trying to replace both of its starting cornerbacks, and it's you know all everything, heart and soul of the defense in the middle of the of the of the linebacking core, right? What do you not want to face when you are having to answer those questions, right? Um, you know, the the speed and tempo piece of it. Um, when you pair that with the amount of talent, if you don't have a game changing edge rusher, I, I think you're in a really tough spot, right? Because now you're just going to let the offense dictate to you sort of what's happening. Um, Chico Bennett, who is kind of, you know, maybe a, a con- you know, could be in a conversation of being that kind of guy for UVA, hurt his knee in a kind of a freak accident, I think after practice. It's, it's, it's structurally okay. There's a expectation he'll be back soon, just not sure yet when soon is and so whether or not he plays in this game my guess is probably not if i'm them why would you push him like give him the extra week let him come back without that on the table and certainly i think if you're the coaching staff you go to this game to win like you you get on the plane with an with the with the uh with the plan of how to do it but i think ultimately this game is much more about sort of figuring out where your holes are right um is the defensive front as solid as as you thought now, you might not necessarily get as good a read on that simply because I feel like Tennessee is going to be chucking the ball all over the yard and it's not going to matter. But you might get a good sense of it in terms of, okay, well, you know what, though? Even with that speed, we were getting some, you know, we were winning some one on one reps. And that's a good sign. Because, I mean, a lot of this, you can almost think about it as a preseason game in a lot of ways, even though obviously, like I said, UVA goes into it to win it. But I think at the end of the day, what you're really hoping for is you're hoping to get some stuff on film, learn a little bit more about your team, certainly about your offense. You're certainly, more than anything else, you're hoping to see them out there against live action. You're hoping to see how they react. You're hoping to see what Musket gives you. You're hoping to see what those wide receivers can give you. Because I think the Fields kid, uh, who was a kind of a um, you know, interesting story in and of itself, a, a local guy to Charlottesville who kind of emerged on the scene unexpectedly. He's a big-bodied kid. Um, I think it's a really high ceiling and probably is going to play on Sundays down the road. You know, he, he was, a he was one injury away. I think last year from being the, the piece that could have really helped him in a lot of ways. Cause he's such a consistent route runner, and a sure handed um, receiver. The Wilson kid, I think is very talented and another big bodied guy. They got Malik Washington, um, a transfer from Northwestern who fits him to a T in terms of giving him a, a guy in the slot. So I think the offense is really the place where, if you're Virginia, a lot of your focus is you sort of have to understand like, you know what? Tennessee is just going to score a bunch of points on you, right? That's just going to happen. Okay. How much was the offense able to score, right? They're going to be playing against, you know, SEC talent on the defensive side. Let, let's see, let's see what we got. You know, do we need to make any changes on the offense line? Is, is our quarterback the guy we actually want him to be? What do we need to, to tweak in terms of route concepts and, and that kind of thing? How are things kind of fitting together? Are we able to get much out of our running game? Because they do have a nice stable of running backs. So I think for them, yeah, you're not going to slow down the offense. They're just they're going to get their points. The question is, how many points do you put up? And can you give yourself some reason to think that when you get back to Charlottesville on the ninth and you play James Madison, you're going to be able to do the same? Yeah, uh, fair enough. I, I think that kind of aligns with what Tony Elliott was saying when, when asked about it, where he was like, we're, we're using it as a measuring stick game in some ways to kind of see where we're at. Uh, compared to a program like Tennessee that that's kind of bounced back. So definitely should be interesting to see kind of how both sides of the ball fare in, in that first game back. I want to talk a little bit more about offense, though. You mentioned a handful of guys that that are kind of those like sure-handed receivers. 
Who's one guy on the offense, though, out of skill positions, whether it's a running back, tight end, or wide receiver, that when Tennessee fans turn this game on, they should maybe worry a little bit about him getting open into space and making some big plays? Washington is probably the guy simply because he's he's played college football. Um, you know, he's he's been a, um, a steady enforce for him, I think, since he came to the program in January. He certainly seems like a guy who fits exactly what they need in the slot. But he's also dynamic enough that he could actually play pretty much anywhere that they put him. Um, he's also, I think, backed up by Sedarian Harrison, who was a f- true freshman kid who, who fits a similar sort of athletic profile. Small, quick, good hips, can really get in and out of his route. Um, really does a nice job, I think, of you know, in terms of his balance and in terms of being able to um, accelerate through, you know, whether it's hand contact or what have you. Um, a lot of times with younger, with with smaller, younger guys like that, you don't see the sort of physical presence that he brings. I mean, it's not, you know, he's not, he, he's again, he's a smaller dude, but I think he does a really nice job of being able to control himself. And I, and I think that's going to be a thing, you know, even if they can get both those guys on the field at the same time, you know, I think musket is going to, is going to be required a lot of check down, right? When Brennan was, was really cooking for UVA a couple of years ago, everything was deep balls. And that is the thing that really, you know, did not work for them last year. Um, that lack of big plays was one of the biggest reasons I think why the offense really struggled because Brennan and company, they just could not put together 10, 11, 12 play drives. There were going to be penalties. There were going to be negative plays. There were going to be drops. Um, I, I think with musket at the helm, what you're really looking to do is just get the ball to dudes, right? Get the thing out there. No reason to, again, as I said earlier, no reason to go out there and try to be a hero. Get the ball out of your hands. Get it to guys like Washington. Get it to guys like Harrison, and kind of just let them do what they do. Um, now, if that leads to twenty-eight points, great. If it leads to twenty-one, great. But ultimately, I think what you're really looking for is you know moving the chains on third down, keeping the Tennessee offense off the field as much as you can. Um, which you know I think is much easier said than done, even for a defense I think that has a lot of talent. And that's a that's the hard that's the hard part about this kind of matchup, right? UVA can go in there and be a pretty decent team and still get blown out, right? Mm-hmm. That's just the nature of the beast when you're playing something like that. Now, if 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 things aren't necessarily clicking on offense for Tennessee, you know, maybe it's the third quarter and you start to kind of look around a little bit, right? Yeah. And if that's the case, maybe you, you, you're not disenfranchised, you're not disheartened. But I think the likely event here is that, is that Virginia's going to go out, the offense is going to score from points, Tennessee's just going to score a whole lot more. Um, and I think if that's the result, in some ways, that's probably not bad, Right. Ultimately, you're just trying, again, to get back to September the 9th against James Madison and be in a place where you kind of have a better feel for what your football team is and isn't. You're getting a better sense of who the guys are and aren't. You're getting a better feel for, like, who fits together the best, especially on that offensive front where there's so much new. Um, There's so much, like, not necessarily because they have a new position coach, but also, too, because you're just talking about different dudes doing different stuff. So it's not just that you have um, kind of new – mentality in terms of how you're being coached but it's also talking about like there are a lot of guys on that front who either were not there last year we're not doing the thing they're going to be asked to do this year or are doing it alongside guys who weren't there last year right and that's really tough for an offensive line right out of the gate especially when you're playing sec talent so i think that if the offense shows something that's good and i think if it happens it's because musket was able to protect the ball Offense was able to, like I said, stay on the field on third down, and guys like Washington and Harrison were able to, you know, you know, make some really nice cuts and 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 extend plays in ways that um, this offense just did not get last year. 
All right, last little segment here. We're going to put you on the spot, Brad. What's that score prediction? What, what do you think this one's going to end up as? I, I feel like Tennessee jumps out on them. UVA kind of claws it back, makes it a little bit more respectable, but those of us who watch it closely will know that it wasn't necessarily that close. Mm-hmm. I, I got the, the Vols in this one, 41-20. I've got an aunt and uncle who live in Knoxville. got a cousin who went to UT. Um, we'll never forget. I, I, think, I think they played uh, Marshall the first time I went to a game in Nayland, and the whole thing moved. And I got to be honest, uh, the only time, including the Final Four in Minneapolis, when I was like, I don't know, however many, uh, what was it, like 85, 90,000 people inside there. It's weird when you're inside um, and that many people. But even then, no, that when Neyland moves like that, and it was just Marshall, like it was not like they weren't playing LSU, you know what I mean? Um, When that thing moved, it was super freaky. Like one of the very few times I've been like, okay, this is not safe. I don't like this at all. Um, but so not having that experience in and of itself is, is one is, you know, it's completely different. So I think, you know, like I said, I think Tennessee jumps on them, probably calls off the dogs. UVA is able to put some points on the board. Everybody goes home happy. Um, again, I, it's not that I think UVA kind of, you know, is laying up, so to speak, right? I think they're going to take their shot. They're going to do what they can. And you know what? If they make me out to be a, um, a chicken little, that's, hey, more power to them. But I just don't think this is a game where you can predict UVA does much. Uh, other than, you know, three, four touchdown uh, margin. I think it just makes sense. Um, and again, things don't click for Tennessee. Things click for UVA. Maybe it's closer. Heck, maybe UVA can pull off an upset. But I don't think um, I don't think that there's much reason at this point to, to really expect that to happen. And I'm certainly not going to predict it otherwise. Well, thank you so much for joining the show. It was great talking. I hope that that the listeners kind of have a better understanding of, of where Virginia is at and what to expect from them as we kick off this season on September 2nd. But Brad, tell the people where they can find your work, where you are on Twitter and everything like that. Well, you can definitely check us out at calfscorner.com. Um, we got lots of, there's a, a literally like a 2,800 word story today that uh, my uh, editor-in-chief, Justin Ferber wrote about the idea that this being um, Tony Elliott's team um, and how, you know, the, any, those quote unquote excuses from last year, they just don't really apply anymore. Um, you can check us out on Twitter at Cavs underscore corner. It's a great place for the in-game updates, our content items, and my occasional witty banter. Please do not go on there and tell anybody that I forgot Jay Wolfolk's name and that momentary <laughs> lapse of reason. Please don't do that. Uh, I'd like to retain some level of cred among UVA fans. Uh, but yeah, give us a look at CavsCorner.com and uh, hopefully it's a good game this weekend. Awesome. We appreciate you hopping on Brad. Thank you so much. And everyone, thank you for listening or watching, whether you're on YouTube or listening over on Apple or Spotify. We appreciate the support. We will have all the content you need over at VolReport.com as well. But the Rivals family as a whole definitely has you covered this football season. So make sure you check out both pages. Vol Report for Tennessee content, Cavs Corner for Virginia content. Should be a fun football season. And, and thank you, everyone, for listening and watching.